0: listeners, and welcome back to Fantastic Voyage, a podcast about David Bowie. I am one of your hosts, Jesse. And I'm the second host. I go by John. John, it is beer time.
1: It is, and we've both got
0: some delicious looking ones lined up here. I've got one called Star Stuff uh, for... Why did you pick that one? uh, Gee, I wonder. (laughs) Um, By Devil May Care Brewery brewing company it is a american style pale ale from right here in winnipeg manitoba uh i've never tried it before but i'm sure it's good when you got to do the
1: star beer when, when it you're doing star stuff yeah star stuff that could have been a how many songs on this album have star in the title there's star there's star man there's lady stardust there's ziggy stardust uh maybe that's it that's a lot though. but that's still a lot <laughs>
0: yeah uh well the prettiest star is on the next one there's another right star. um yeah, oh, it's a lot. Uh, what do you got there, John? I've got... Uh,
1: well, I wish we could show the listeners the can. I got Super Citra Bros. It's like oh, a it's Super like Mario, super Brothers, Mario Brothers can, yeah. and it looks awesome. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a Super Citra, double IPA, 8%. Wow, I might be... Uh, <laughs> the, 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 the home stretch this episode could get interesting. Uh <laughs> it's a good thing
0: we're at your place today.
1: <laughs> yes, I don't have to drive home. But,
0: um, uh, yeah, it's a cool little... Super Mario Brothers can... we? I was born in 89, but we are very much children of the 90s, and uh, mm-hmm. that was right when Super Mario World was our world.
1: Nintendo is stuck with us. I mean, I've got that Super Nintendo classic system up there, the really yeah. short one. I mean, yeah, we are we don't like video games as much as we like David Bowie, but it's it's close. A
0: David Bowie video game would be awesome. Holy Somebody shit, get you on could that. go
1: so many different oh, man. ways with that, yeah. too. Too like, many ways.
0: <laughs> choose your fighter, and it's like... You know, how, like, fighting,
1: yeah. <laughs> Thin White Duke, Ziggy Stardust, like, oh, you could, we, you know what, let's not include this in the pod, let's somebody will prance on that idea, <laughs> we need to keep that for ourselves.
0: <laughs> okay, so uh, we're into Side B, uh, and as we do, as we start uh, Side B, we talk about the album cover. Uh, I'm going to go get it. Yeah, you've got your copy here. I've actually got two copies of this one. I've got Dad's old copy that I just kind of lifted uh, from him uh, years and years ago. Uh, but it was actually one of those records that wore out. Like, it, it doesn't play well anymore because it's been played a lot. And I have yeah. the the reissue uh, from, like, 2015 or 16 or whatever. What yours is...
1: Yeah, I've got... I'm, I'm actually eyeing up a, a different copy... Uh, maybe one of those new reissues because mine is a Best Buy series, kind of a cheaply produced yeah. one. Because same thing, the reason I bought this one is because my old copy was also worn out because I played this album way too many times. And, uh, you know, since I was like eight years old or whatever. So I, I had to get a, I'm going to have to get a new copy eventually as well. But uh, yeah, I mean, the front cover though is still, I mean, the the, the cover is in great shape and we've got a great cover here. Yeah, um, yours is not
0: yeah, it's, <laughs> it's ziggy uh pre hair dye but post haircut mm-hmm. uh it's a borrowed les paul i don't th- it's not uh it's not ronson's which he could have used but i i don't think he wanted because ronson sanded down, it... down his it's a les paul custom that's normally said, black
1: arnold corn's guitar is it freddie brady's guitar i think
0: uh, oh that sounds right i think yeah
1: i'm like 90 percent sure on yeah, that. yeah that
0: might i mean because
1: he was like his costume designer but then eventually the uh was it a Komodo or what? What was the the guy's name? the The Japanese guy that eventually started
0: doing his costumes. Right. He started doing them instead. I but. think Angie had a lot to do with the aesthetic too. Definitely. Of his, yeah. yeah. Cool cover. I, I like the back cover more. I had a shirt that was the back cover that I wore out. Mm-hmm. Like I I wore it for like the better part of a decade. because uh, I really really like that. There's some really cool outtakes. Um, there's actually a website like Ziggy Cover Outtakes. It's just you know, a photo album of this what, photo session.
1: It's kind of interesting because, like, the spiders from Mars were supposed to be on the cover, right? But, like, it was raining and it was cold outside, so they, they didn't want to go out, <laughs> uh, which... I, it's, it's too bad. That would have been cool. Well, that w- it would have been a whole different thing, wouldn't it? Like, I, I think they were supposed to be on there looking, like, all Droogie like, from Clockwork Orange. Uh, you know, Bowie was really into that movie, and he kind of... There's a lot of Clockwork Orange that kind of goes into the yeah. stage presence and, yeah. and their outfits and all that. I, I wish we could see what that would have turned out like, but I'm glad it, it turned out the way it did because this looks more like what the album represents, at least to me. It's like this yeah. Messiah of an alien race who who falls to earth and it almost looks like he just was just dropped in. You know, he's very small on yeah. the cover. You know, and the on the other ones he's like front and center, big headshot here. He's just kind of propped in like he just fell to earth.
0: Yep. Exactly.
1: And a great looking cover. It's almost like uh I guess this is like that Lou Reed like kind of trashy urban sleaze New York thing he kind of was really into, I think is probably a huge Absolute, influence yeah, on, the, on the front cover here. Yeah. Great cover. Iconic cover. And what does the back cover say?
0: To be played at maximum volume. That's great advice. It's not even a hype sticker. It's actually embedded. Like it's, it's on the, yeah. the cover. Yeah. So definitely.
1: yeah, definitely play this at maximum volume and we'll drop the needle and get into side two.
0: which kicks off with Lady Stardust. Uh, could have been called maybe Song for Mark, uh, as in Mark Bolan. It was the working
1: title for it, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, that's... I'm pretty sure that that's, that's right. Um, he even, I think, performed it early on with, like, a picture of Mark Bolan
1: projected
0: yeah. on stage behind him or, or something like that.
1: Yeah, he, he didn't do it live much. He did, There was only... I- counted them on setlist.com there's only 12 performances during the ziggy tour which had 191 shows but yes whenever he did do it he did have it on like that bowen's face in the background on a, on a big projector screen
0: this is another kind of loungy one i would call like uh like as in like a, a let you could hear it in a lounge you'd, you'd want to be sitting there maybe having a, a glass of red wine as Lady Stardust sings to you, perhaps. Uh, This one kind of maybe exists in the same world sonically as as Soul Love. Uh, They kind of, they have a similar feel. I I really like this one.
1: This song is very important, I think, for the album. You know, it's another one that challenged the sexual landscape and explored, you know, gender fluidity. The song is called Lady Stardust. The character is called Lady Stardust, but he's given the pronoun he throughout this song. and. I guess in that first verse, Lady Stardust is, is subject to abuse and, and mockery from his audience. Uh, people stared at the makeup on his face, laughed at his long black hair, his animal grace. But on the next verse, they, they very quickly begin to embrace him, right? Femme Fatales emerged from shadows to watch this creature fare. Boys stood upon their chairs to make their point of view. So... Women and men are both drawn to him. Like, he's, he's very irresistible once you get to see him perform and see what he's all about.
0: And I think that the boys standing up on their chairs uh, to, to get a better glimpse of him is is the most significant one. Uh, I think it's it's a lot of this, it's males putting aside this, like, oh, like, this, this wimpy girl up there on stage. It's like, no, like, this is something that I'm going to put all of my preconceived notions about homophobia you know and transphobia aside because i i care about this person yeah. enough to listen to them and i think that's a concept that the world wasn't ready for at this time totally uh,
1: well, i i have to wonder if it's almost connected to starman in the sense that the starman was afraid he'd blow our minds and maybe make us a little uneasy Lady Stardust did blow the Earthlings' minds, and right. initially it had sort of the negative impact he was afraid of it having. Yeah, but they they do wind up warming up to him.
0: I like to think that in the song, it's maybe the the people putting their like putting their biases aside and maybe squashing their their homophobia and transphobia. Yeah, uh, maybe that's. I mean, I think that might be like that happens in this song. I I. Th- hope that maybe some people listening to it maybe it happened in real life too where they thought you know like i I like to think that bowie was a gateway to a broader world of acceptance uh i mean it's really hard to judge exactly the impact that bowie had but it could have only been positive uh especially i mean of course given the era uh yeah, very very important uh, subject matter in this song, and I, I think that's what puts it into like a, a higher tier for me. Is just the, the 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 issues that he's trying to take on they're colossal and very important, uh, and I'm glad that he did it to such like a cool tune because it is like sonically it's it's a it's a great song too. I, I like it for those reasons. The same way I kind of like soul of.
1: Yeah, well, to me, it's more, like, if I had to compare it to other works of his, it, to me, it's like, it's kind of like an extension of hunky-dory Side B, because not only is he doing, like, a little portrait and paying tribute to Mark Bolin, which is, you know, obviously very similar to, like, you know, Song for Bob Dylan and all those sketches that were on Side B, but also because this is a, a bit more of a singer-songwriter type thing, right? Like, there's no Rano on guitar. See, actually, the only song on the album without any guitar from him. But he, he is on the piano, though, and he's doing kind of like an after-hours cabaret Kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's maybe his most Elton John sounding song. Who Ronson actually worked with on uh, Tumbleweed Connection. That album. Another Gus Dudgeon produced, produced, produced Gus album. Yeah. Yeah. And Herbie Flowers on bass. That's uh, He's the bassist on... Well, he's worked with Bowie a few times. He was on Diamond Dogs. Uh, the the original version of Holy Holy. He's popped up a, a few other times too. Yeah, I've seen
0: that name around. Yeah. yeah. Um, so he's talking about lady stardust in past tense uh does that mean that lady stardust is dead um or are they just gone like did is it Mm -hmm. like was this a one-time performance uh is it one of the black hole jumpers who came and sang and left like i don't i don't know uh i've always kind of wondered that though like and and who's he talking to when he says, they asked if I knew his name, you know, like, I, I would, yeah, there's, again, he's leaving a lot to the imagination, which is, which is really cool.
1: Yeah, like, it also seems like, to me, like, I guess, I don't know if the, the narrator is supposed to be David himself, or, or who it is, but the, the narrator seems to be attracted to Lady Stardust, you know, when he says, uh, I smiled sadly for a love I could not obey, right, when he says something like a love he could not obey, I mean, it is important to remember that, like, same sex acts between consenting men in England, like that wasn't it was even legal le- until the like late 60s. Yeah. yeah. And like places like Scotland and Northern Ireland and a few other places throughout Europe, like it wasn't even legalized until like the 80s. Yeah. I mean, think of how important like pride awareness is today and how much we still have to do. Back then, it was just beginning yeah. to become a thing. Like the very first Pride March took place in 1972, the same year this record came out. And so I guess. This actually, like, it isn't one of my favorite songs on the album, but I still really, really love it. I still like it a lot. And it's just, it's so hard to imagine this album and what it meant for the world without this song. You know, maybe not as classic or as strong of a song as like a Five Years or a Moon Age Daydream, but still very good and so very essential to the, the overall theme of Ziggy Stardust and the cultural impact that it
0: had. Yeah. And I think to create this character and to be Bowie, um, like this song just fits into his catalog. It's like, you know, if he was a spokesperson or maybe not a spokesperson, but if he was a pioneer for very early, um, LGBTQ plus rights or acceptance, stuff like this kind of has to be a part of his albums. You know, you you have to find these songs. And so it just fits perfectly. Um, I I really love the vocal of it. He sings it so well. Yes, yes. Just absolutely stunning. I'm not sure how many takes it took, but I can imagine it wasn't very many.
1: Well, I I think Ken Scott said 95% of the time it was first take. So the chances of it not being the first take are pretty slim. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah, like the vocal performance is great. Like, I mean, sometimes he sings the... Yes, he was all right in, like, in an exaggerated glam style where he goes, all right, like, he he almost makes it a two-syllable word.
0: But then there's that one, the all-night-long part, where he he, he sings it a bit more softly, and it's, yeah, yeah, Yeah. he switches it up just like he did on... uh... Moon Age Daydream we were talking yeah, about. Like yeah,
1: like another one where he changes the delivery because he goes, yeah. yes, he was. Yeah. Oh, like there's more urgency. I love it when he does that.
0: And I do like, I, yeah, that part is good, but I do find the song maybe goes on a little long. Towards the end, I'm kind of going, oh, are we going to listen to it again? Like, okay, like I can get behind it. It's not like it's a five minute song that should have been three minutes, but yeah, maybe maybe there isn't as much musically there that kind of maybe holds it back from being, like, a top-tier song that put it up there with Starman and some of the other...
1: Yeah, because, like, you know, Moon Age Daydream has that solo and the instrumental break before the solo. You know, that maybe not as much going on. It's maybe not as stars. thought out
0: uh, beyond the basic bare bones of of the structure of the song.
1: But I mean, it's still a solid song. And like I said, one that's, it's just, it, it, this album couldn't not have Lady Stardust on it. There's, if someone said, oh, I would replace it for, no, like it had to be on there. Um, Especially just thinking back to the time, because like, once again, it's maybe one of these things where it's hard to think of this in like 2021 terms, but in, in, in 1972, you know, like, it was not accepted for them to be performing the way they were performing, wearing the makeup and stuff that they were performing. Like, you know, Ronson's house and his vehicle had gotten, like, red paint, like, doused on it, right? And while he was on tour, his wife and kids had to deal with all this vandalism. And, you know, certain radio stations were refusing to to play David Bowie. They'd say shit like, you know, we don't promote perverts, you know. Bowie had a gun pulled on him in Texas for wearing a dress. So when when you think, like... This type of song, I mean, it's just, it's so crucial and so important to the the, the overall theme of Ziggy. It just, it, it needs to be on the record.
0: I've got to say that, and, and although like there's still so much work that needs to be done still uh, in just awareness wise and, and, and in all aspects, but I, I'm really glad that we live in a world that is far more accepting in turn, like compared to, you know, a hundred years ago Um this song wouldn't be so out of the ordinary now and it wouldn't be yeah. like you wouldn't get that like mick ronson wouldn't have red paint spilled all over his vehicle or his house or whatever so i don't like yeah i, I like to think that this had a lot to do with or maybe yeah. not a lot to do with it but it maybe just made a lot of people that would have normally just scoffed at the idea of accepting uh, a gender fluid superstar it, it made them think like hey you know what this is okay, because, you know, why shouldn't it be?
1: Yeah, well, like, it, yeah, obviously, like, Lady Stardust didn't just solve everything, but pro- no. with progress, you need yeah. a lot of micro-transactions, exactly. or whatever you want to call yeah. them, and this is one of the many that I do think definitely would, you know, that definitely helped, it didn't hurt, yeah. uh, you know, To so, yeah, I mean, uh, a very important song, and, uh, yeah, like, you know, not not one of my all-time favorite Bowie songs, but... Still a, a very good song, and like we said, you know, what when a song's like bottom three or bottom four on one of your favorite records of all time, it's a, that's not an indictment on the song, it yeah. just means that there's you know eight other ones that are just so phenomenal. So,
0: yeah, uh, so on to Star, I feel like this is Bowie selling himself uh, on rock and roll superstardom, he's kind of trying to convince himself that hey yeah, there's all these other jobs out there. I can join the army. I can try to be a politician or whatever. Or I can just be a rock and roll star and, you know, I'll get paid good. Like, I can deal yeah. with the money. Like, he's almost trying to convince himself of it. I, I think a demo of this exists from around the hunky-dory sessions. So he was... It kind of fits in with that theme of career choice and, you know, like, with changes. Like, I'm going to give this a shot. Like, I'm going to really go for it. This might be overlooked or... Uh... You know, it, you, people would probably view this as, like,
1: one of the, the more generic tracks on the album, and I mean, like, it, it kind of is, but there are little bits of, like, instrumentation that that maybe get overlooked. Like, the drumming in particular, I, I'm not sure if this was Woody's doing, or Bowie told him to play like this, or Ken Scott, or who,
0: whoever, but... It's probably Woody, because he said he took control of how he did
1: yeah I, I love how he speeds up the tempo every time a bar ends with rock and roll star yeah it kind of really emphasizes the, the word star but once again there's that sense of urgency that they, that they really hit on because bowie wants to be a star and I, I think anytime bowie and the gang got in the studio they didn't just say okay let's put some drums and guitar over these words they really wrote and arranged uh, the
0: instrumentation in a way that played off of the words and so quickly too so just like yeah. they, they were yeah. just they gelled so well uh, and another little subtle thing I like about it, too, is I talked earlier about, uh, I think it was on the previous episode, how Ronson, although this is a very guitar-centric album, like, it's glam rock to the fullest, it's not, it doesn't bully its way into the mix. Like, in this song, throughout the verses, the, the guitar is buried in the mix. But yeah. if you listen to what he's playing, it could have been, like, he's playing, like, windmill chords, like on every beat, like it's yeah, like it could have taken this song over, but they didn't. Like, you know, there's the, the piano is on it and the, the vocal is very prominent, and the drums, the drums it are just, maybe the most
1: active part. Yeah, yeah, the,
0: the guitar just sits so well in this, uh, until it's time for the guitar to shine,
1: uh, yeah,
0: and in and, and other certain parts. And, and I just absolutely love that about Ronson on this album,
1: even like the little instrumental bits, like the one that starts the song, you know, like it, it's simple enough play you know, it's simple enough drumming, you know, it's not that it's not the most overly complex or hard thing to do, but like it just it everything complements each other so well. It's actually almost as if like the piano is doing what the drums would normally do. Like they're kinda going one, got, two, three, four, yeah. one, two, three, four, one, two, three, like keeping the rhythm in its simplest form and the drums are kinda doing what maybe the piano would normally do. They're kinda doing some more fills. I mean they're not going wild or anything like Keith Moon or Neil Peart, but it's just you know, hitting the toms and then the cymbal at the perfect time. I think Woody is sort of from the school of, like, a Ringo Starr or Charlie Watts, which, like, you know, it's play what needs to be played, nothing more, nothing less. You know, sometimes that sounds like a backhanded compliment, but it isn't. Like, it's not overly complex, but it's not simple either. It's really the sweet spot, you know, the the perfect spot. It's not really easy to arrive at that, you know, knowing when to start a fill, when to not use a fill, how the fill is going to sound. Like,
0: you know, don't kid yourself. That's not a 1 plus 1 equals 2 equation. No. Uh, you mentioned Charlie Watts. I guess we should mention uh, two days ago he passed, uh, 80 years old. Very, very saddened uh, to hear that. I know you're very partial to Charlie Watts uh, being a drummer yourself. I know your style kind of f- was formulated y- even based off of him. His like,
1: mannerisms even. I, yeah. kinda, I <laughs> kind of am Charlie Watts when I drum. <laughs> yeah. don't really do much. I kind of just, you know, just chill in the back a bit. He's, he's just... He's the uh, incomparable. He's just—he's just, he's just yeah. a one-of-a-kind, laid-back personality, an absolute legend. And uh, yeah, our condolences to his family. And he—he'll be missed, but he'll most certainly never be forgotten.
0: Yeah. Uh. So. So back to Star. Uh. One of the best rock outros ever. It slows down. Um. They've got the 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 bomb bomb bums that show up in satellite of love of like lou reed okay,
1: yeah i had the, oh, yeah I they do do that. that yeah
0: yeah it's almost
1: like a page out of the beach boys playbook you know they, they like uh yeah the pom 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 you know yeah. they, they always utilize their voices if they were instruments and in a album. hard
0: change the beach boys were all about like the song is this and then it stops and it's now this yeah and, and that's exactly what the outro of this song is, is it's something completely different <laughs> and it's where ronson jumps in and it's yeah.
1: When I was listening to this on headphones, I didn't even realize this until like recently, but when he's doing like the wild mutation as a rock and roll sort, like that part, you can hear some
0: la 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 in
1: the background. I didn't even know that they were there.
0: Uh, I'd have to listen back to that. I, I think I know what you're talking about. Maybe we'll play it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. one thing that's really cool too is that so i'll just read this verbatim from from woody he said that star is a steal from mitch mitchell's drum beat and jimmy hendrix's i don't live today but speed it up because it kicks as a future rock band we thought you would be influenced by the great rock artists of the past hence the jimmy reference and i think that's a fascinating reason to lift a drum beat you know it's like I'm not ripping Hendrix off. The fictional Spiders drummer is, right? Like, right, are yeah. <laughs> It's a performance of a performance, right? So, uh,
0: Well, it's like how now, like, if you become an entity, you can go bankrupt and you don't go bankrupt, your business does. It's like, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah you're, uh, yeah. It's like, well, I'll create this fiction that will take the heat if something yeah. happens. Although, I mean, obviously that wouldn't have held up, but it's that mentality of, Oh, I'll just create like this barrier.
1: <laughs> yeah, like there's just such there's great little tidbits in this song just from an arrangement standpoint. You know that there's those harmonies during the intro are great too. Like they're the ooh, like they're kind of being used as an instrument. Um, yeah. Once again, kind of that's kind of like a Beach Boys thing going on. Maybe just a bit more of a glammed up version of that. So, you know, for a song that's like a straightforward rocker. It's got a lot of meat on the bone. Enough to make it more than just a straightforward rock song, in my opinion. And, I mean, you got to think, like, what does a rock and roll star sound like? I mean, there's got to be some straightforward rock stuff playing when you're trying to get that point across, right? You can't be singing, I could fall asleep at night as a rock and roll star, and you're doing, like, Black Star. you you, you, got to do a Chuck Berry kind of thing. And and they really, the band just fills in the rest along the way,
0: just in, in a great way. Well, Bowie is doing rock and Bowie's doing rock really, really well. Uh, I mean, this is a rock album, so yeah, you can't knock it for being just straightforward rock and roll. Uh, he gives it so much color and so much flavor. Uh, just awesome. We're watching the 1984 show right now on the TV with no sound and, the chemistry between ronson and bowie is just absolutely Mm -hmm. incredible i i can't wait to talk about the live stuff uh we're gonna get to that very shortly uh but yeah unless you have anything to add on star um we can get on to another rocker
1: well i just yeah the last thing that that i do love about this song too is how it fits into the i guess like the whole world of ziggy thematically and that Mm -hmm it sounds like he needs to be a star when he's singing. Like, you know, he doesn't want to be a star. Like he needs to be, you know, he says, I could fall asleep at night if I was a
0: rock and roll star. Like, yeah. It's keeping him up. Yeah. I could
1: fall oh, in yeah. love if I was a rock and roll. So he was kind of having some maybe problems with the concept of love on like soul love. Right. So, Becoming a star is going to solve all of life's problems.
0: Yeah, his aspirations. Or or
1: so he thinks, right? Right. Uh, Yeah, This is maybe an intentionally naive track from Bowie that will lead into, like, rock and roll suicide. And we'll get there later, but point being, fame isn't maybe
0: all it's cracked up to be. It's interesting, too, because I think at this point, um, he wasn't... uh, he he wasn't indulging in the substances as much as he would be towards the end of this, the tour that he's about to embark on. So it's kind of funny how he's maybe going into this a little bit green, maybe a little bit naive. Of, this is going to solve all my problems. But I mean, as he's noted, uh, the what's what's to follow uh, in starting in '73 and definitely '74 to '76 was a, an, an era of his life that maybe wasn't he wasn't kind to himself uh yeah. his health anyway uh yeah so an interesting way to look at it from that lens
1: did we mention the guitar at the end uh, yeah
0: we should i feel like we should play it uh, yeah let's yeah <laughs> let's let's
1: uh let's yeah l- l- let's end i mean we were kind of all over the place with this song but i think uh, this is probably what i know this is a top moment for you on oh, the yeah. album and it is for me yeah this is like the best guitar outro i mean on on the record and one of you know top 10 of all time Fall in love, all right, as a
0: rock and roll star. <laughs> Okay, so Hang On To Yourself is next. Uh, this was another Arnold Korn's uh, recycled tune. Um, mm-hmm. And a song that has a bit of folklore, or a bit of urban legend maybe, attached to it. Um, have you heard the Gene Vincent story, or rumor, well, that you... Bowie maybe kind of started it himself? Well, I...
1: Well, maybe you should... I know that he was playing this for Gene Vincent when he went to America for the first time. Yeah,
0: well, apparently, like rumor has it that like there's an early demo version of this where gene oh yeah he's
1: on, on it. It. I, I didn't know that he yeah, yeah. So it's one of those stories it's kind of like depending on what version you hear it's either he was there when bowie did it to he was playing guitar and i've it, even heard he was singing i didn't hear that he was singing it but, yeah so oh, it's if, taken on even more
0: if, if you ask the if you, if you ask <laughs> the right person they may even tell you that you know ziggy is gene vincent <laughs> but, uh, yeah. yeah i i've well, even he, heard so much as the, like it was only like the person recording with gene that heard it and gene wasn't even there but like gene's like grandson or something says that oh he's on the song like the demo not the ziggy version obviously but yeah i i don't know like if anybody knows the 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 truth to that or if anybody has a deep deep dark web uh bootleg of gene vincent singing with bowie i would love to hear that please send it please please yes uh but yeah this is another uh I mean it, it fits the Gene Vincent sound it's kind of rockabilly uh it's very yeah. Eddie Cochran uh it's summertime blues uh kind of come on everybody he says come on come on you know Well
1: it's just, you know just as they borrowed the Mitch Mitchell drum pattern on the last song because they wanted to pay homage and show influence to the old guys they come back to that concept here right like Come on, right come away. on. That, that's exactly like you said. And, it's and big... the riff,
0: the yeah. yeah,
1: that's "Come On" by Chuck Berry. "Come On Everybody" by Eddie Cochran. Summertime please, Blues. Please, please yeah. me by the Beatles. And once again, like it's not like they're oh they're stealing it because they don't have their own ideas. Like no, saying "Come on, come on" here is its own idea because they're pretending to be a band called the Spiders from Mars. They're in character. This is a concept. You know, they'll they'll do their own original thing when they want to. Like you know, like. I don't know, the backwards guitar on Beulet Brothers or, you know, Bowie will do insane chord changes when he wants to, but this is a fictional band. So once like they're doing a performance of a performance, so when they steal, it's
0: with, you got to keep that in mind. Well, and and not only that, but I mean, this is a very similar riff to Summertime Blues. Uh, What song are you listening to more? Summertime Blues by Eddie Cochran or Hang On To Yourself by Bowie? You know, Sorry, if, if you're, if you're lifting something and, and making it different, uh, and making it maybe more current, I mean, this is, I mean, it's only, it's not even, it's barely 10 years after Summertime Blues, uh, 15 maybe, but like, he's just improving on it or, and it does maybe he doesn't even improving on it, but he's making it different and it sounds great.
1: Well, it, it sort of like serves as the bridge between like the fifties, Eddie Cochran, Gene Vincent type stuff that. And then like the punk rock that would soon emerge yeah. on later, which in is very yeah. yeah. It's
0: there isn't much difference between that.
1: And like all those punk guys were inspired by the like the teenage angst of summertime blues and come on everybody. Like, the Sex Pistols loved this stuff. Uh, the Ramones loved it.
0: Well, it. and and what's everybody's favorite song on Who Live It Leads or Zeppelin playing live? They love when they do that old yeah. stuff, you know. So yeah, there's nothing wrong with well, lifting that. And this is also like. Uh,
1: like I think that like this like teenage lobotomy by the Ramones sounds just like this song, and so like God Save the Queen by the Sex Pistols is essentially the same line. I think Glenn Matlock maybe even said that he had kind of taken it from this song. So yeah, I mean like I kind of it's like that little in between, mm-hmm. but like you know there's a fifties period, then there's this, and then then the punk rock that that followed, and that's probably what Ronson's main influence I would say if you had to ask me. Yeah. What did Ronson influence? Is probably the the punk that was kind of.
0: Yeah. Uh, on the horizon. Well, and and this song maybe in particular, because it's one where the guitar is front and center, uh, much like Queen Bitch in a way, where it's the it, it's very present in the mix. Yeah. Uh, his vocal is, is cool on it. I love the effect. There's a bit of uh, delay on it, a bit of reverb. Uh, it sounds a bit different than some of the other rockers in that respect. Uh, and it just kicks ass. Uh, it was a very frequent uh set list opener yeah, they, uh, on the ziggy tour the shit, it, it yeah. usually did it was this and then they play ziggy stardust the song well
1: when we said that you know this was a better live album than hunky door i mean the, the songs like this were, were meant for yeah, for yeah for the live performances yeah i think i've even read people interpreting this track as well as having a bit of a, a beach boys tinge to it because like it's the you know that we, we really got a good thing going is kind of like a you know, like, let's have a shindig, like Beach Boys Party, party let's yeah. get together, we got a groovy thing going, you know. It's a very old-timey, good old-fashioned fun kind of thing. Definitely would probably, even in 1972, would probably have been viewed as like a, a throwback vibe. Yeah. And once again, like you mentioned this was an Arnold Korn song, right? I, once again, this is much better than the Arnold Korn's version, and, and yeah. I don't really like any of the Arnold Corn stuff, but I still think that it's super important because those singles were, I, like, to me, they were kind of lackluster, and, and they were a complete and utter commercial failure, you know, they were, they were flops, but I think the idea of Arnold Korns is very pivotal, because it, it did allow David to experiment with, like, alter egos and, and high-concept pop, it it sort of served as, like, the beta for his most classic albums and ideas. Okay, yeah. So, yeah, that's a good... you know, it was kind of like the little, okay, let's experiment, for, and then he kind of goes really into it with this album, and... Uh,
0: dipping his feet in the water before jumping in kind of and i
1: mean yeah. there's some great t- i mean like the panting as percussion at the end i mean that is so gl- i mean it's just perfect yeah uh, you know there's this is a great a great song you know this and star like i said they might be viewed as like the, the filler songs on the album because they're straightforward rockers but they're some of my favorites i i love i love these two and they really pick the album up and they're really the identity of the album because we always talk about how Ziggy is so much different than Hunky Dory and it's like well it's because of these songs so it's like if you like it better then you, you kind of have to like these ones
0: yeah actually something I just thought of just now uh, this is the song I play when I pick up a guitar at a guitar store I often play this you know there you have go. like your go-to one that you, you don't want to go there and play you know Smoke on the Water or whatever. <laughs> it's yeah I, I, I've tested so many guitars out at a guitar store with this riff and it usually blends into something else but well, it starts with this going anyway. back to the the sex pistols uh they they weren't into
1: going to guitar stores they uh, did you hear the story of them lifting gear from from bowie and and, and the spiders from mars during this tour
0: no okay I oh well
1: it, it's kind of it's another one of those weird connections and, and twists of irony in bowie's career because there's the the line on this song the bitter sounds better on a stolen guitar you're the blessed were the spiders from mars Steve Jones, from the Sex Pistols, says he stole their gear. Him and Paul Cook, the drummer, apparently... What they, did they steal? They posed as members of the crew and ganked a bunch of, like, cymbals and amps and stuff. <laughs> I think it was like during, like, the hammer... Like, the the, the one from, like, the the, wow. the Ziggy album, yeah. And, like, it's not even, like, an urban legend because this has actually, I think, been confirmed by, like, other people. And, like, right, he's, yeah. he's even, like, oh, cool. offered Woody, like, money since and stuff. Yeah, so... <laughs>
0: That's uh, the irony in that is awesome yeah. <laughs> with the lyric from the song. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, the next song starts with a very iconic guitar riff. Um, One of the most recognizable, I'd say. Yeah. yeah. We've said that a couple times uh, so far, but I mean, yeah, Bowie's catalog is flooded with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, the song, of course, is the kind of uh, s- titled song, uh, Ziggy Stardust, Um yeah, this is kind of like a, a eulogy for the character that he's created. Uh, yeah. You know, he's, he's talking about him in past tense. I always wondered, is the narrator maybe a spider? Because he says, like, we were Ziggy's band in it. So... Yeah. Like, it, like is, is it maybe another member of the spiders he's speaking from their perspective? I don't, I don't know. Well... It's past tense, so it's like, it takes place presumably after rock and roll suicide, like chronologically, you know, the concept of this album is Bowie even said that the al- like they didn't put it on, that they didn't sequence the album to fit the story. They did it to, to fit yeah. the, the, the tunes and the music. So, I, I mean, yeah, the concept is very, very loose on this, you know, concept albums as a whole are kind of, I don't know. I mean, aside from rock operas, I think we actually got a comment that kind of, goes into that. We'll save it for then. But yeah, this this album isn't necessarily the the front to back story that that Bowie maybe originally thought that he could do and then just said, Oh, well, I'd rather just make good music instead.
1: yeah because a lot of the songs are like old ones. So you know like Moon Age Daydream, Hang yeah. on Yourself. They they were, you know, crafted even
0: And they kind of fit. They they can like you could force it and make or maybe not even force, but you can make it fit the theme. But I mean, yeah, it's not this... He didn't sit there and write out this story and then this is the album that... It's not...
1: Yeah. I think, like, it's not so much as a concept album as, like, Ziggy Stardust is a concept. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Or, like,
0: like Sgt. Pepper. Like, the band is the concept. As where Ziggy Stardust is the concept. As where, like, you know, Lamb Lies Down on Broadway by Genesis is is a story. That's a concept. Or Tommy by The Who. Yeah. Yeah.
1: When, like... And what is Ziggy? I mean, he he is, he is, like, Ziggy is a concept, and he's like uh, he's like this conglomeration of rock and roll archetypes, right? Like, we have the Snow White Tan, which would refer to Iggy Pop.
0: Well, hun, Iggy Pop. Well, but, yeah. Iggy's Iguana. Uh, uh, came on so Google. loaded, man. Yeah. Loaded, blue reed. Yeah. Played it
1: left hand. I think that was them doing a Hendrix thing again. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stardust came from the legendary Stardust Cowboy. And uh, making love with his ego, I mean, that's your typical... 60s rock and roll frontman like a Jagger for example uh, right yeah th- this would maybe be a good time to to commemorate once again the, the incomparable Charlie Watts uh so uh, you were saying that maybe this is one of the spiders telling the story right I can kind of see this
0: it's Charlie Watts's point of view <laughs> yeah because well I
1: mean okay the legendary story is that at, at a group meeting that uh, he was in 1978 uh for the Rolling Stones Mick Jagger referred to Charlie as his drummer you know, typical of a lead vocalist with an obnoxious ego, right? Making love with his ego. They went back to their hotel rooms and, you know, Charlie kind of kept it bottled up. You know, he had a shower, had a shave, put his suit on, adjusted his tie, calmly walked over to Mick's room, knocked on the door, punched him in the face, sent him flying across the room apparently and said, I'm not your drummer. You're my fucking singer. And then he walked back to his room and like had some tea or
0: something. That <laughs> is that is the best rock story of all time yes yeah.
1: and so that is like very similar to this song right like but Ziggy made it too far became the special man then they were Ziggy's band yes. right Yeah. you know they were Mick's band in Mick's eyes right he's the star he was acting as if the drummer belonged to him and I think that's part of the rise and fall of a rock this star is, is, the is the your, your ego yeah. spiraling just out of control
0: yeah like yeah, when I said this is like the eulogy of, of Bowie, this is, or of, of Ziggy, this is definitely the, the fall of Ziggy Stardust. Yes. In the title of the album. Uh,
1: well, and speaking of, I mean, maybe the, uh, probably the, the biggest inspiration for the Ziggy character was Vince Taylor, right? Uh, and he has one of the most legendary rises and falls of all time. He's, uh, well, he's a guy who, you know, brand new Cadillac by The Clash? Yeah. He's actually the, the original writer and performer of that song. Oh, And, and he, was, he was, like, That's huge even... in, in, like, the late 50s and early 60s in Europe. He was even dubbed the new Elvis over there. <laughs> but by the, the mid-60s, I guess, like, his substance abuse had kind of spiraled out of control, and he began breaking down in the middle of shows and, and actually declared in the middle of a performance once that, that he was Jesus Christ in front of a live audience. And that was kind of the end of him, especially were, yeah. in, like... You know, John Lennon said, we're more popular than Jesus. 66. And that, he yeah. This guy was actually saying, I am Jesus. And Yikes. that was the end of him. And uh, I think Bowie was actually kind of fascinated by that. Like, this guy had a complete and total meltdown. He thought that was kind of cool. I, I guess maybe because he was foreseeing what he feared was his own mental instability potentially kicking in. And uh, so I, I think that, like, Vince Taylor is kind of like probably the most relevant link of, of any of these fallen stars Bowie actually met him uh, when, like, Bowie was in like kind of like his mod phase, and he, this guy, like, he kept a map on him, and and he would circle out all of, like the UFO landing spots uh, that were about oh. to take place. So, you know, <laughs> the, the, yeah, like, uh, like I said, a legendary <laughs> rise and fall.
0: Right. Uh, yeah, the song is incredible. Uh, it's another top tier Bowie song. Uh, would it be in your top twenty? Maybe top. 10? Uh, maybe not top... T- yeah, it's up there. You know what? We're going to have to do... We'll do a list at the end of this. When all is yeah. said and done, yeah. we're going to do a, a huge ranking list, maybe a top 50 or 100 songs. That'll, that'll That's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that. Again, Ronson's playing uh, is very spread out on this song. Like mm-hmm. After the opening riff uh, that repeats a few times... He kind of backs off a little bit and just adds a little bit of color, and yeah. it really allows. So when they get into the chorus, the and so where were the spiders and making love with his ego, those parts without doing too much different. It just makes it. It builds into something bigger without needing to to turn the the guitar up or anything. It just yeah. all of a sudden it's present yeah. and it gives it that that push that it kind of it, it makes that part heavier. Uh, I, that's one of my favorite parts of of you know, the, the song, or it's one of my favorite parts of any Bowie song. I, I love those, the, the A minor, G, F, those descending chords. They're just so heavy and they just hit you hard. It's actually interesting. When Bowie died, he's the only rock star, or the only person that I didn't know personally that I actually shed a few tears when when they died. Uh, when And it was actually... It wasn't the night. I remember waking up in the middle of the night. My wife was sick. Uh, she was She was like, I don't know what happened. Like She had like a stomach bug or something that just came on in the night. So I was up because she, was, she wasn't feeling good. So I was up and I just checked my phone and Bowie died. Like I saw it and I was just like, oh my God. So I didn't sleep all night. I had to go to work the next day. And then on my way to work, I was listening to Bowie and it hadn't really hit me. Like, I mean, mm. I was, I was upset. But then this song came on and that part is what made me cry, which is oh, really wow, weird yeah. that like, you, you know, you would just expect it to be like
1: rock and roll suicide or like I
0: was two days old only was black star. Right. So you'd think it'd yeah. be one of the like dollar days or something. I can't something. give everything away. Right? Right? Yeah. 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 But no, it was, it was that, which is something that's always kind of stuck with me. It's like, I haven't under I, I still don't understand why that was what triggered me. Maybe it was just, I mean, it is kind of like he's talking in retrospect of Ziggy Stardust. And now yeah. Bowie himself is, for the first time ever, being thought of in past tense. So it was, yeah, this song kind of is special to me in that. And I don't know why this was the one, but it, it just was. And that and that part of the song, too. <laughs> it's not even like the Ziggy played guitar. Yeah, It was, you know, it's like the heavy part, which is <laughs> like the rock part.
1: And I love the drumming on this song too Woody claimed claim that the drum beat on this song was influenced by king crimson specifically the the brilliant track uh 21st century schizoid man from their in the court of the kings and in king. the court of the crimson
0: king, <laughs> king yeah. album you know that album I'm- I don't know if it's Robert Fripp or somebody has been holding them off of or was holding Aren't they on now though? I think they might be I think I, they're Because I've st- streaming services. Yeah. What I've never to me, yeah. owned a copy of it and they've been off streaming services. And I'm too lazy to YouTube and do it that way. I, I really haven't like do gotten into that enough yet. I that's next. Well, like Red is my favorite
1: King Crimson album and then it's in the court of the the Crimson King. And I, I guess what Woody Anybody loved a lot here, about, yeah. uh, what he loved a lot about uh, the latter, uh, what he loved a lot about In the Court of the Crimson King is he said the way that Michael Giles started and ended his roles in unusual places, he, he he thought that was just so great, and he thought that the whole feel of Ziggy Stardust would suit that approach. So you were kind of saying, you know, he kind of engineered the, the, the drum style, and yeah. I definitely know what he's talking about because Will Jam on occasion and it's not unusual for us to play Bowie tracks right and there's when, usually
0: two or three
1: and when we drum to this song I'm always kind of lost on when the fills start because they're kind of all over the place but then again that's also kind of fun because then I just do it whenever and it never really feels out of place doesn't, so yeah I, I I do love this sort of sporadic free-for-all aspect of the of the drums on this track just another another great instrumentation song for, from this record there's no shortage of them
0: yeah
1: Speaking of which,
0: this next one, unless you had something else to add, is... This next one's my favorite jam song of all time. Uh, Suffragette City, uh, the penultimate song on the album. It is, uh, I think it's my favorite of the rockers, uh, of the Ziggy era. Uh, maybe of all of Ziggy's, or of all of Bowie's songs. It's just, oh man, this song kicks ass, uh... It's, this is Ziggy the rock star. Why is Ziggy such a star? It's because he does this song. That's why. Yeah. Like, yeah, Moon Age Daydream was a fan favorite at the live shows. I'm sure this was right behind it. Um, I'm not sure if I mentioned that on the last one or not, but I, I read that the the fans went crazy for Moon Age Daydream. Yeah. Uh, and obviously the band did too, because they really liked it. But I'm sure this was right up there with it. Um, yeah, a song that he originally offered to mop the hoople, but they turned it down. It might have been when they were thinking of you know chucking it in um they gave of, them all
1: the young dudes instead uh, yeah and they, it
0: saved them yeah um oh what a song uh rock and roll at its absolute finest
1: well i just, just the second that it starts uh once again you know we talk about the sequencing a lot you know that i think it was engine revving it was an engine revving intro in, in the words of chris o'leary i mean that that complements the the somber guitar outro of Ziggy
0: so yeah. well, right? And without it actually fade like being like it doesn't really continue into it, but it just works so well yeah. the way that it goes because it it ends in Ziggy ends in G and and Suffragette City starts with like a G climbing up to more like a. a
1: medley than it is like a segue, it's right? Like, yeah, yeah. And uh, like you'd mentioned earlier too, that's an ARP. 2500 sax or a uh, uh, synth creating the sax noise. Yeah. Not not a saxophone. Uh, and that instrument is going to pop up again in the Berlin Trilogy. Uh, yeah. The ARP is all over those records. If you think it was used creatively here just wait, but yeah, I mean I think that's a, a just a fascinating concept, you know, using a a synth to produce a sax sound. I didn't even know about that until recently that that was I'd always assumed saxophone. It sounds just like
0: it. Yeah, you. so well Bowie wanted like a wall of saxophones to play uh, yeah. I don't know if it was budget constraints or, or Maybe, if it was yeah. just like, hey, let's let's try this, see if it works. Yep, good enough. Knowing Bowie, he wanted to work fast. Like, oh, we got to call the session guys in. Let's just get it done now. If we can get it done, let's let's do it. I think it was Ronson that did it too, right? Yeah. Of, of course. I think he was interviewed or an interviewer once said like, oh, and Bowie playing a mean round of saxophones and that and he just went with it for that interview, mm-hmm. which is great <laughs> that he didn't correct them. Like, oh yeah, he's going to toot me that Especially because like, he's, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, my, my favorite part of this song, uh, one of my favorite books of all time is, uh, Anthony Burgess's A Clockwork Orange. Um, and I know that the film had been released and that had a lot of influence on Bowie too, but it's also, a, it, it showed up the, the book on Bowie's, uh, top 100 books. Yeah. It's a great website. Uh, well, they made a website out of it, but Bowie had a list, his top 100 books that everyone should read. And I've been slowly picking away at it. I'm kind of saving, like, I'm not going to try to do it all in one. Cause it's a lot of, it's really heavy, uh, reading, mm-hmm. but I, am I'm, I'm tackling it. And my goal is to eventually try to read as much of it as I can. Um, but anyway, so I'm not sure how much he took from the the movie or how much he took from the book. If he had read it yet. Anyway, um, the, the droogie, he says, droogie, droogie don't, be don't like, be, yeah, which is like this, it, it's just such a cool way that Burgess wrote a clockwork orange. Um, he, he created this language called NASDAT. With, like, the Russian... It's stuff very... In, yeah, it was yeah. Russian slang, essentially. And, like, it's... It made... So the first... I've read this book twice. The first time I read it, I had no idea what the hell was going on. And by the time I read it... But it, it's short enough that you can kind of read it again right away. And I, I didn't finish it the first time. I went back and started reading it again. Uh, and really focused on... And I started to understand, like, this slang that he was... Like, Rookers means your hands. And, th- like... Yeah, there, and it, uh, it's just it's it's such an entertaining book to read because you're like kind of like smirking the whole time you're reading it, uh, and of course the book itself is is great. The movie's great, and I love how he just kind of picked that and threw it in here, and it sounds so cool. Drugi, I want to call my friends. Drugi, Droogie, yeah. Well, I've heard too. Like in the
1: book, they use that language. It's a lot more prominent. You kind of really have to get it because it's oh, your only source of it's information. Like, right? it, like they like, they
0: should put this book is Nasdaq. Like, it's yeah. not written in English. In English, yeah. yeah.
1: And so it's... I've heard it's a way... I haven't read the book, but I've heard it's a much
0: better uh, have experience the I'll lend you copy, movie. my yeah. copy, yeah. It's... Oh, it's so good. It, yeah, it, you laugh the whole... Like, you don't laugh. You just smirk the whole time. And I... I smirk the whole time I listen to this song because it's so damn good. <laughs> well, and this is, like, a
1: very slangy song, too, right? Like, I, I love the way... Bowie uses like terms like hey man and, and out of sight you know these are great exaggerated rock and roll expressions that he really leans into throughout the album you know he just says far out and freak out and yeah. come on come on he's hitting all the rock and roll tropes because he's manufacturing a rock and roll character you know wham bam thank you man it's all these catchphrases
0: and sayings that was a Charlie Mingus thing for
1: Charles M- yeah, yeah like a, a song or something on a what I can't remember the record that it was on but He's using all these phrases almost to the point of sarcasm, you know. He listed himself as the actor on the back cover of Hunky Dory. He may as well have done it here again because he's certainly playing a role on this album, a yeah. part, and he's playing it very well. And like I said, almost to the point of sarcasm, but it's not a complete and total gimmick because these songs are all have standalone value, regardless of how they fit into the world of Ziggy. But yeah. these all have yeah. commercial appeal, yet they simultaneously fit into his broader concept. Like, being able to have those two things exist, I think, is maybe one of, like, the most overlooked parts of this album.
0: Yeah. Totally.
1: I also love, like, there's some great, clever sexual innuendo. Like, you know, she said she had to squeeze it, but she... And then she... You no, know, he's not saying it, but it almost makes it more powerful that way because you know what he's getting at, but he's yeah. just letting you kind of figure it well, out. I think on your he's own. trying to
0: like kick his roommate out of the house so that he can be alone with his, with his partner. Well, I guess or...
1: it's another one of those open-ended writing yeah.
0: things of his, like Henry, like this. Who, Henry who is character. Henry? Like it's. A, I think it's like a roommate, maybe. Because something.
1: like you could also like interpret it as like his previous lover, even right? Yeah. Like. He just declared to the world that he was gay, right? He'd walk it back and say he's bi and then he, he's not bi at all and this and that. He always keeps us guessing, but that's just kind of what's so great about him, right? Like, yeah. I still don't know who Henry is. I, I kind of do think it's his roommate too, but if you thought that maybe he was kicking Henry out and he's moved on to a female lover now, you could, you could go that route too. Yeah. He, he writes so open-endedly and that's part of the, you know, just one of the many things that makes him a brilliant songwriter. Yeah top tier once again you know it's this is probably like the best fun song on the album i'd say you know you're supposed to have fun with this one you know uh yeah she's a total blam blam you know it's all playful and cheeky but enjoy the fun while it lasts
0: because the the fun the fun stops here yeah the album ends with rock and roll suicide uh the other we talked about the best bookends possibly ever uh I don't normally do this, but I, I have, I actually wrote out, I, I couldn't think of how to describe what this song means to me or, or what I picture when I listen to this song. So I, I took a little bit of time and I just wrote like a, a paragraph or two about what I think this song is. So if, if you don't mind, I, I'm just going to read at it. Out.
1: Her. Yeah. It's, it's definitely a song that warrants that kind of attention. I,
0: I wrote it in kind of like a, in like a story form. Um, but anyway, here goes. Uh, so it's approximately five years after the opening track. Uh, five years, uh, and still nobody knows exactly how the end of the world will play out. Uh, there wasn't any specific date given, so the world and everyone in it, everyone in it, feels like they're kind of living on borrowed time. Um, the protagonist. And I think it could even be Henry from the previous song. Like who knows? Like, it's it's somebody. Uh, anyway, sure. let's just yeah. let's just go with that. So he he's alone. Uh, it's nighttime, middle of the night. He's uh, he's alone. He's in his kitchen. Uh, it's it's dimly lit by like a by a single lamp uh, that's kind of flicking sporadically. Uh, there's a metal rusty bucket. Uh, that's on a stained, tiled floor. You, you've uh, sucked me in already. Catching, there. <laughs> you know, the, the occasional raindrop of water that's coming through a roof that needed to be replaced long ago. But yeah. what's the point? The world's about to end, right? Uh, the room's silent, except for a clock ticking, as if it's counting down the seconds until the Earth's unavoidable end. Uh, the sleeves of his wrinkled white dress shirt are rolled up past his elbows as he lights a new cigarette just as soon as old, his old one is finished. The paranoia is starting to set in, and he's contemplating suicide to avoid the destruction that feels more imminent than ever before. But before he does it, or before he makes that final decision, he decides to take a walk outside. It's still dark out, and the rain is actually cleared. Uh, but you can still hear like the swishing of cars that are driving through. Chev brakes are snarling. Yeah, they you know you know when, when when it's rained and you can hear a car going down the street. Mm-hmm. Uh, It's like cutting through, like, the rain that's still on the streets. Um, And on this walk, he realizes there's nothing left in life worth doing. Uh, It's like watering plants that are about to be thrown out before supper time. It's like, what's the point in doing all this anymore? Uh, You know, you don't eat when you live too long. Mm -hmm. Um, So dawn breaks, and like a vampire caught in the sun, he runs back home, unable to face another day of redundancy. The end is coming, and nothing else matters anymore. So without a care left in the world, uh, he's now fighting with the voice of his conscious who's making one last final push to show him that he's not alone. And I don't know who that... Is it his conscious telling him that? Is it somebody who's caught him on the street telling him that? That, look, we're all going through this. Or other people have gone through this before. Hang in there. See it out to the end. You never know what tomorrow can bring. There's just... Again it's that open-endedness that maybe he's not even giving you because like it is a a suicide in this, like he kills off Ziggy the end of the tour with this song and everything. But the fact that he's now maybe taught me to think of this with an open-ended concept while still painting this picture in my head, it's just, it's so beautiful. I, I don't like, I've always thought of Bob Dylan as the greatest songwriter in terms of painting a picture creating a universe for you to just get lost into. Mm -hmm. But I think this even trumps him in, in that this song in in particular, it's just so vivid in my mind. I can picture that. And I I had to get that out in writing. I had to say that because like, it's so picture, like it's so picture perfect to me. And that's, that's what I think this song's about. I'm sure it's totally different from other people's interpretations. And that's the beauty of Bowie. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I,
1: well, I mean, that, that was beautiful by the way. That was, uh, yeah, like I, Thank I, you, you I, it's funny because it's not kind of how, what I picture it, but like you are able to take me there and it, it works. It, yeah. it really does. And, and that's the brilliance of Bowie is connecting with his audience, right? Like I think this one is similar to Starman in the sense that he's just connecting with everyone. You know, he made himself famous by doing this. I mean, Picture going to a Bowie concert in in early 72. You know, no one really knows him yet. But he's on stage in this wild attire, you know, looking super androgynous, red hair. And not only does he look fantastic, but he's belting out to you that you're not alone. And, you know, to give me your hands because you're wonderful. I mean, that's a very special feeling to... I would probably have walked into the venue curious, you know, what's this guy all about? Let's check him out, and, and then I would have walked out a fan. You would I mean, have left
0: guaranteed. in love. And Never I mind think a fan.
1: Thousands yeah. did fall in love with him during this period. And I think for these specific reasons, you know, the the way he was almost able to manipulate you into liking him by by like this this irresistible charm. Uh, I, I've read, you know, to to her credit, I think this was Angie's doing that she encouraged David to to write a piece to, to stoke an audience and i mean she's a wild cat and a lot of her contributions are up for debate but i don't think this is one that's disputed you know she deserves yeah. credit maybe not everything that she claims but for a lot and i think this song over and above all is such a brilliant way of connecting with your audience and it certainly worked on me certainly worked on you and uh you know kudos to angie for planting the seeds for this one because this is an all-timer i mean yeah this is uh, an absolute, if somebody doesn't like this song, there's something wrong with them. And I, I don't, I don't say that a lot. You know, I'm always, it's subjective and this and that, but I mean, come on, this is just undeniably amazing.
0: Yeah. I had a buddy a long time ago who we were feeling each other out, like, uh, what kind of music do you listen to and all that? And we, 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 we landed at this song and we both just kind of said like, is there anything better? And then we were, like, uh, well, there isn't. No. I... Uh, it doesn't mean it's the greatest song of all time, but there isn't anything better. That's there's a, there's a, there's a line there. Yeah. That, yeah. Uh, oh, the, like the talk about buildups. I mean, I know five years has a buildup too, but this one, the, the way he belts out, you're not alone the first yeah. time I've heard this song countless times. And every time if you've, if, if I'm actually focusing in on it and I've listened to it from start to finish, when when he gets to that first, you're not alone, that the hair on the back of my neck stands up no matter what time of day, no matter what day of the week, no matter what I'm doing, no matter what it it, always. And I, I can't say that about many songs where it still has that same impact. All these plays later.
1: It's it's a brilliant piece of songwriting, but the performance, specifically the one at the end that you're you're referring to, it just propels it to an entirely different stratosphere. Oh. it's like because it's just an explosion of emotion. He's belting these words out, screaming at the top of his lungs, yet he's still able to maintain a great degree of empathy he sounds so reassuring yeah. and, and passionate you know yes, he was yes. such a great performer I, I don't know many other people who could pull this performance off i think if anyone tried to cover it and top the original i think it's a rare instance where it's just like scientifically impossible
0: yeah well and the emotion in this song we talked about how much of that there is in five years where you've been dealt this you know, the earth is in a terminal state and you've got five years left. Uh, but now, at least the way I interpret it is the world is about to end. And now you don't, I, I don't want to be around it to experience that. So I, I'm going to kill myself. It's like now, like the emotions that you're going through and your whether it's your conscience or it's somebody trying to show you that you're not alone. It, it's just, it adds that added layer of heavy heaviness to, just the way you feel when you listen to this song, like I feel anxious at the end. Yeah. Uh, I feel, yeah, it's just a, a wide range of emotions throughout, you know, through the entire song or the entire album. Sorry. Uh, you know, like it's, well, it, it kind of just, it takes you on a trip, this well, album.
1: And it's crazy too, because this is such a, once again, a song with immense standalone value, but it, it just, it, it's a, it falls into yeah. the concept of Ziggy. Like, yes. th- this album, like, it, Rock and Roll Suicide is this great cautionary tale about fallen stars. Once again, like, you know, this is, after all, the rise and fall of Ziggy Stardust, right? Yes. So it's crazy that he's able to work this in to, to, the, to the grander narrative. And when you think about it, like, all of David's heroes, or, or at least a lot of them, were fallen stars, right? Like Sid Barrett, he kind of lost control there, right? Uh, Iggy Pop was in the slums, you know, the the life took its toll on him, nearly killed him. Lou Reed also represented this rise and fall notion, you know, he was responsible for four of the most influential and important albums of all time, you know, those first four Velvet Underground records, but by this point, you know, in the early 70s, he was living with his parents in, in Long Island. There's... All these victims of the industry, like the 27 Club members, Jim Morrison, Brian Jones, Jimi Hendrix, yeah.
0: Janis Joplin, they all died. They were, and it was this time, they were dropping yeah. like fives, yeah.
1: Brian Wilson was mentally worn down. I mean, you know, the life isn't all it's made out to be. You know, it will destroy you. And yeah. suffice to say, Bowie was hyper aware of the downside of being a rock and roll star and he would fall victim to the life as well. You know, he kind of got too wrapped up into this character and had to kill it off because he was becoming this character. He was losing touch with reality. He he didn't know if he was Ziggy or if he wasn't. He, he would yeah. develop one of the ugliest cocaine habits of all time. And it's a timeless concept. Once again, it was a contemporary issue in 72, but it's not like it's ever gone away. You know, after this Elvis would soon fall victim he had an exploitative manager and well it, you was, could
0: say he fell victim long before this too right yeah. and john lennon yeah.
1: shot and murdered you know the, the big warning sign here is you know the, the industry the fans record executives whoever you know they all kind of build you up to drag you down uh sometimes it's even your own ego right like yeah. bowie's mindpiece, piece the, the mask from the, that love you till tuesday film i think has a a lot of parallels with rock and roll suicide. I mean, the, the connections you can make are just that they're endless. Well,
0: I I think the the general consensus is that humans or or sorry, suit so, like celebrities are still humans. Humans, yeah. And still people people yeah. forget that sometimes, yeah. and especially and unfortunately, a lot of times it's the people closest to them, whether it like usually tied through business, but like the managers and the the record labels, like you know they forget or the fans if you're talking in sports they forget that these people are human beings and like you wouldn't mm-hmm. fight for you know like if something unfair happened to your friend or your family member at work you would say oh like that's bullshit like the you know like uh, yeah you stand up for yourself you show them but if a, if a rock star doesn't want to tour anymore or if a, Selfish,
1: or prick, if a, entitled. If a You know,
0: if a football player wants to play in a different city closer to their home or whatever. uh, Take more money? Yeah, it's like all all of a sudden it's taboo. It's, it's, yeah, it's kind of crazy. But yeah, he definitely was seeing that before he got huge. Because he's not huge yet. At the, right
1: when he made when he wrote this and sang it he, he wasn't right, right? when and, he started and, to perform but it was it because yeah. it was so incredible it kind of made him famous right um and it was kind of like did he know what he was signing up for he he did yeah. but it's just yeah i don't know it's uh, just such an incredible way to wrap up this character and, and to wrap up this album you know it concludes the narrative of this record and and yeah i mean just
0: wow So circling back to our Twitter poll about that was a lot
1: (laughs) just like, yeah. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) So
0: yeah, we, we put up five years of rock and roll suicide. I, I think I would, if I had to pick one, I would probably pick rock and roll suicide over five years. I probably is. That's okay. Uh,
1: well, recency bias is going to make me pick rock and roll. Yeah, no, we're just I, I like, had this,
0: I was planning on saying it, but I mean, oh, yeah. this is like a 1 and 1A one type thing. Definitely
1: 1A a and 1B. To me, five years is 1A because it's longer. It's like, well, if I have to pick between the two, just give me the one that's longer because I can enjoy it. Yeah. And maybe that's a weird method, but that's just kind of how well, I gonna Well, if it I ends sooner, you can that. put
0: it on again that much sooner. <laughs> I don't know, yeah. I, no I wrong mean, answer. Yeah, it's, it's tough. I mean, there's probably been times where I've, you would have asked me, I would have said, oh, five years. And there's times when, but right now I'm going, I'm probably rock and roll suicide. Uh, no, I, I would be, I, I gave a third option, which is, and one person voted, I'm dead. In other words, you couldn't, <laughs> you couldn't come up with it. Whoever did that, uh, yeah, I, I might be with you in that boat. Twitter poll suicide. So speaking of Twitter, uh, now is the time to get to our, one of our favorite segments of the show, which is uh, listening to some of our listeners Uh, opinions on the albums that we cover.
1: I look forward to this every time.
0: A lot of fun. Uh, So okay, let's start here. Um, We've got one from Gail. If I had to choose between them, I would pick Rock and Roll Suicide. But that's probably just because it's more upbeat and Five Years depresses the hell out of me. Yeah. Fair enough. (laughs) Fair enough. Uh, She goes on to say, I think Five Years should be the last track as it sounds like a lament and The Doors ended albums that way which just seems right. Hang on to yourself is my fave. That should be first because it wakes you and makes you want to listen. But I love them all. Would never question David Bowie's genius. Yeah. Well, uh, hang on to yourself could have been an opener uh, on maybe on on another album. Uh, Open the, the live op- shows. Open yeah. the live shows. But I, I I love the way that Five Years starts and the way that Rock and Roll Suicide finishes. Well, it's personally. interesting.
1: I would never choose Five Years as the closer, but like that is an interesting kind of alternative concept because that would totally redefine the album, right? Like,
0: Oh, I never... Hey. Yeah. yeah, Like When you put it that way, yeah.
1: You know, you have all of this hopefulness, right? Of like there's a star man waiting in the sky and the the quest for stardom and and wanting it all and then the twist is that the world is actually ending at the end. Like, I, I could be wrong. I think what she's saying is just in terms of sound, it would be a good track placement at the end but what an alternate concept yeah. I mean,
0: like, oh wow where yeah <laughs> all this yeah imagine being told all this great stuff and the world's gonna end <laughs> like I mean, like that's great <laughs>
1: yeah. i would still leave rock and roll suicide as a closer especially because of that last string note it's very final it's almost like a day in the life that it is, uh, that yeah. e major chord. Yeah. i'm not sure what it is on rock and roll suicide i know it's e major on a day in the yeah. life but I do I do agree also that Hang On to Yourself is a good side starter, but if I'm gonna change anything, I probably kick It Ain't Easy off of side A and off the album entirely, bump Lady Stardust onto side one as the closing track, okay. and then kick side two off with Hang On to Yourself. And then toss like Sweethead or Velvet Goldmine or something onto side two, maybe.
0: Velvet Goldmine would be my pick. Uh Justin says Holy Holy should have made it Or that. That yeah. works
1: just as well, yeah. Um he said uh, he would he would put holy holy to instead of It Ain't Easy, yeah. yeah. And then I think we also had uh, Tony Day who asked us if we prefer the original concept of the album or the the one that the, the final product. And I do prefer the final product, but I will I don't know if you've ever seen have you seen the original track listing Yeah. Well I'll re- I'll read it out anyway yeah. so for everyone. Yeah. It was Side One, Five Years, Soul Love, Moon Age Daydream. Round and Round and then Amsterdam. That was the cover from uh was that Jacques Brel Which is a
0: great like folk song, English folky kind of song. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And then Side Two started with Hang On to Yourself and uh was followed by Ziggy Stardust, Velvet Goldmine, Holy Holy, Star And Lady Stardust. Now, it's interesting, but, I mean, I think the final product... I mean, there's no Rock and Roll Suicide. You're
0: you're missing some big songs in Starman. Uh, Yeah. But, so, I think it's hard to look at it because that's going to overshadow however you look at it. So, it's like, do you want to add these great songs? Like, yeah. So, that kind of is my answer, I think.
1: Yeah. And, yeah, and so, and then Justin wanted Holy Holy on instead of It Ain't Easy. I agree. I think I would have done that, you know, if I had the choice... I maybe wonder if like Bowie was thinking that Holy Holy was too like a uh, man who sold the world or something. It was kind of like a black magic Alistair Crowley thing. Maybe that's why he didn't include it. He didn't think it fit. But yeah, another I mean, older song. Too, sonically, yeah. it, it fits. Um, the spiders version. The spi- yeah. yeah, not the original version. Yeah. The spiders version, which is the better version. I mean, night and day, at least for me. Yeah.
0: Uh, Tony Day also said never got Starman. Uh, I don't don't like it, but I don't like it also. Um, yeah, I mean, we kind of talked about it maybe missing a little bit of something that just maybe knocks it down to, like, the B tier.
1: Bowie's better at making dark songs, I think. Maybe, yeah. Or, or, or maybe not even dark, but, like, um, like songs that, like, punch you. Like, you know, Rock and Roll Suicide gave you that essay yeah. that you wrote. Starman's not really going to do that
0: yeah. for I you. think, I, I put it this way. I'm not surprised to see that. If I would have seen, like, oh, I don't like Moon Age Daydream, or I don't like Five Years, I would have been like, whoa, that, that's a hot take. Yeah. This is like a lukewarm take at, at most. Like, I, I yeah. kind of understand it. Um, Eladio says, the album starts with four and ends with four of Bowie's most pronounced and extraordinary tracks. Uh, furthermore, the timeless and influential guitar playing of Mick Ronson throughout... As to the brilliance of the rise and fall of Ziggy Stardust and the spiders from Mars, yeah, I mean, it's, so, it's it's a greatest hits album, save for yeah. maybe a couple of tracks. Yeah, I I, I'm on board with that.
1: One, well, I I love anybody that like highlights Ronson's contribution to this i mean that we like we have to hammer that home right because he really
0: we're running out of opportunities to squeeze that in there too because he's not long for for this podcast he
1: he really makes this record and it, it sounds like he didn't have the easiest job either i mean on The Man Who Sold the World, he kind of had the freedom to basically play whatever his heart desired, but...
0: Now Bowie's drawing things and play like
1: well, this. <laughs> I didn't think Bowie even said, I had to hum a lot of Ronson's solos to him. It got to the point where every single note and every part of the song had to be exactly as I heard it in my head. Now, that's not easy to do. Mm-hmm. When someone's telling you, do it
0: exactly, and like st- every and single, Don't th- you know how many notes are on this album? And to still sound like Mick Ronson, so, he, which he does so well. Yeah,
1: Ronson definitely deserves more love. So definitely, like seeing him get the love that he deserves. We have one here from King Stavros the Adequate, who says the breadth of styles makes it the complete package: T style glam rock, loads, whimsical ballads, soul of Five Years, Lady Stardust, pop, Starman. It's also a fantastic musical snapshot of that time, something I'd choose for a time capsule of 1972. And I think it really was a great breadth of styles. It's the perfect blend, at least to me, of Hunky Dory and Aladdin Sane. It's the gap between the two. You know, Hunky Dory is more personal and idiosyncratic. It's filled with, like, acoustic balladry, more low-key singer-songwriter kind of stuff. But Aladdin Sane is going to be, like, an all-out, Glam Slam, I think I've seen it referred to. Right, it's got sex, drugs, violence, the whole nine yards. Ziggy kind of doesn't delve too far into either direction. It sort of exists in this in-between world. You know, he he dips his feet in both ends of the pool, and yeah. that's brilliant because it doesn't overwhelm anybody, and it, it allows Ziggy to appeal to a much wider audience. Evident in the fact that this is probably bowie's most popular record i mean this is the one that you show to people when you're trying to get them into bowie because
0: it's an eclectic mix of styles in one exactly as for bowie in from a macro standpoint is that (laughs) like that that is his career defined but it's also kind of ziggy defined in a micro context. totally yeah yeah so when you you talk
1: about like the breadth of styles i mean yeah this this is the complete package this is the one that you show to people
0: okay large iced paint water cool name uh rock and roll suicide is one of my favorites and it has a very special place in my heart but five years is in my list of songs i show to people when they ask why i like david bowie that's what
1: we just said isn't it i mean this is the this is the one you know And and that song specifically yeah might be the one that i pick as well fellow winnipegger brian hoover Says, Starman was the first single I heard, which made me buy the album back in 73. Five Years is one of the most enduring Bowie tracks ever, and my fave from this album. After Ziggy, I backtracked and picked up Hunky Dory. I was hooked and bought virtually every album after that. Now, I love this story because I just love hearing from people who were alive and aware when this came out because it just outlines how big of a moment this was. And for for Brian, obviously a life changing one, you know, going back to old records and and becoming a lifelong fan, and, and being able to then buy all the albums As that came
0: out. At, oh my God, what we, a joy that must have we been! We just caught on to the tail end of that. I mean, I, well, the N- first next day and the Black next Star, day in Blackstar, the, the for only reasons. ones for me, really. Yeah. yeah. Well, and. Be, prior to that it was 03 for reality I didn't and know i that. wasn't into
1: yeah. well i was eight for that and i yeah. wasn't uh
0: yeah we weren't buying music i, I was
1: playing ziggy but you know I, I had no idea that those albums were even out
0: yeah uh elston gunn the fourth uh says five years is my favorite song on the album a top 10 bowie song overall uh it's like the opening titles to a grand epic movie yeah Uh, Plus, there's a genius to opening an album with to-be-played-at-maximum-volume with a song that fades in. Yeah, that could rattle a (laughs) few (laughs) eardrums. (laughs) That's (laughs) great.
1: And there's actually another one here from Justin that was an oversight by me. I'd missed it here, but I'm just seeing that he said the best way to encompass everyone is to list them as either nobody or somebody people. I I think that's something that... Yeah, that's that's incredible. I mean, that, that whole song is just filled with at five years, right? It's just filled with brilliant lines and descriptions and imagery, you know, like, a cop knelt and kissed the feet of a priest and a queer threw up at the sight of that. I mean, the irony, considering it's usually the other way around, I mean, that's another song where you could do an entire podcast episode about it. You know, (laughs) my my brain hurt like a warehouse. It had no room to spare. I had to cram so many things to store, everything in there. That's me trying to analyze five years. He he actually wrote... What it's like trying to interpret five years into five years. Yeah, and god damn it, I love that
0: song. Well, and, and as he pointed out on Quicksand, his brain is already occupied enough, and yeah. now he's got he, now he's got to deal with this. Uh, okay, so now uh, we're gonna get to French Toast David, uh, who has uh, a few takes uh, that we want to get to. Uh, number one, Five Years, uh, although it was a, probably written with a more fantastical tone than anything, uh, is more relevant now than ever because of the climate crisis. That, as soon as I read that, I thought, that is so bang on. Yeah. Uh, just, yeah, can't say it any better. No, yeah. Uh, Starman is a good comfort song, makes me feel so safe. I, I think I mentioned, it's such an easy song to listen to.
1: Yeah, I think, I... He and I have similar emotional responses to that song. I think I echoed that. I think I said that was one that was very reassuring for me. A very very comforting song, absolutely.
0: Yeah. Um, This is sort of evident from the lyrics, but I've always imagined Lady Stardust to be either a trans woman or a gender-fluid person whom the character David is portraying in the song is in love with. Uh, The lyric, Oh, how I sighed when they asked if I knew his name, makes me think that Lady Stardust died tragically or was murdered. Uh, he talks about her in the past tense. And then when he says they asked, I think that denotes investigators trying to find out what happened to her. That's, see, that's just beautiful. That That's kind of like what I was doing with, uh, uh, what's the song? Rock and Roll, Rock and roll Suicide. suicide yeah. I love hearing these... Take yeah. these pictures. Because I would never from, have gone no, that
1: investigators. I would never have oh, gone that route. Yeah. But the, it
0: works. It's great. Though. It's it just works. Great. Yeah, oh, like this I, is it's so much fun reading these because yeah, uh, please keep these coming, uh, French toast David, which is best uh, Twitter best name, name yeah yeah, <laughs> um, yeah that's it, it it now I have this vision in my head. And well, I'll, I'll probably always see that. What
1: well, I hope that's what we're doing with this show is we're just sharing our Ours, yeah. responses to these great songs and great albums because it's re-de- like I'm actually taking it's a lot of these and it's, yeah. it's redefining it for me and I get to appreciate songs in a new light and then it just keeps the albums fresh. Uh, it, it's and, just, and uh, can, such a fun fun and you, thing to do. You
0: can morph them into because like to me like okay like I, I now see this investigative approach to it or, uh, from that lens, like that's what's happening. Uh, but I don't think that Lady Stardust was killed. I, I still think that Lady Stardust was a, a black hole jumper that left. So like, maybe it's not a police investigator. Maybe it's like the CIA or it's some other kind of, you know, some kind of space force or something like that is going like, Oh, like where did these people, was it a UFO. Was it like, where did they come from? So like you can kind of like morph these ideas into a new one, which is, yeah, it's mm-hmm. a lot of fun. Okay, we'll get to one more, too. Uh, last one. Uh, I just love the quaintness and innocence of Star. I always imagined baby Ziggy with his yet-to-be-dyed mullet singing this one with the just-watch-me-now at the end. It never f- fails to give me chills. He knew he had something fantastic and wonderful to give the world, and nothing was going to stop him. Uh, yeah, he... This song was... I, I read there was a demo before... I well, maybe not before Moon Age Daydream and Hang On to Yourself. And it ain't easy, but it was this was an early song that he was yeah. playing with and it was like so then he went out and did it. You know, yeah, this is this is yeah, baby Ziggy. Well it's you know, the Just Watch Me Now
1: at the end, I always just looked at that as just kind of like a throwaway part of the end of the song, but it, it's what it's redefined it for me. It's like he had something to say and you know just watch me now and I never really interpreted it as having like any sort of deep meaning like that
0: but he's yeah. made he's made the decision he's been kind of talking himself into maybe being a rock star yeah I'm gonna do it now just watch me yeah it's cool yeah
1: yeah I like it that's why we love getting these takes in so as per usual thanks for everyone who, who shared their thoughts with us because that's why we do I mean I I live for this stuff I mean this is really yeah really incredible stuff that we that we keep getting, so if, thank, uh,
0: thank you. If you can't find us on Twitter, or if you haven't found us on Twitter, we're at Podcast. Or no, it's not... <laughs> I'm still new to... BowiePodcast.com. <laughs> Use the yeah. email addresses. Is... Well,
1: we could check if that domain's open. It
0: might be. The... It might be, yeah. We we follow like Visca, you know. I'm gonna unfollow Tony Visconti and, and follow Cabrales, and then follow him every second. So yes, just there. his phone goes Bowie, Bowie podcast, podcast. Yeah. <laughs> We're gonna get somebody on this show eventually uh, that maybe worked with Bowie. We're gonna get somebody on no, this we're show not. who Don't. worked <laughs> with Bowie to block us on Twitter. <laughs> yes,
1: there yeah, we go. I finished your sentence. Sorry, uh, <laughs> but uh,
0: I you know closing what th- my my closing thought is. This is a a top album of all time. Uh, there's not much more I can say other than it's it's a, it's a song that's been like, ugh, here we go like a soundtrack of various moments of my life I, I've listened to this for a long time I'll yeah. continue to it's, it's, it's in my top 10 albums of all time uh, Bowie or not, uh, top 5 I, I've answered the question what's your favorite album of all time on a whim, Ziggy Stardust, I've said it before, and I'll say it again, I'm sure, uh, yeah, absolutely love it.
1: It's just such a crucial
0: album for
1: so many reasons, I mean, for one, for Bowie, it was, you know, kind of his last shot at stardom, and it worked, but even looking beyond what it meant for his career, I mean, just think of what it meant for music or performance art in general, I mean, you have him openly declaring his homosexuality, wearing it proudly and including it, you know, in the lyrics and in some of his performances. I mean, by all accounts, th- that was very liberating for a lot of people. You know, he yes. brought gay yeah. culture to the mainstream in a way that it had never been done before and and projected, you know, like strength and, and artistic merit and, and talent and success. I mean, you hear it from thousands of members of the LGBTQ plus community that they felt more confident and being able to be who they they were and and to own it, you know, like you're not
0: weak, you're, you're strong. You're not alone. It gives that community somebody to look up to. It gives them someone they can identify with. Maybe.
1: Yeah. Like that
0: wasn't there in 1972. And not only do you not have to
1: hide who you are, uh, you know, you're able to embrace it. And I think that even extends beyond the lgbtq plus community any type of outsider just person in general who yeah maybe didn't have the confidence to express themselves i mean not trying to get overly dramatic here but i mean bowie knocked some doors down for all kinds of people by just simply put manufacturing a rock star that represented this just general concept of challenging the status quo right yeah i think that is like the main takeaway to to be had here and one more thing I think I would maybe add to, maybe anyone who hasn't listened to the album, I mean, I doubt anyone who's listening to this hasn't, but... And
0: if you've made it this far without listening to it, <laughs> I, I want to meet you, that's cool, that yeah. you can listen to I want to like, be able to... I want to be able to do that, that's, yeah. that's 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 cool. Yeah.
1: I guess my main suggestion <laughs> would be, don't try forcing yourself to buy into a front-to-back concept, because this album kind of gets painted as a front-to-back... Yeah, it's concept. not. I think of it as more of just a statement on you know like gender fluidity, uh, on bisexuality, and on the pitfalls of fame. Because over and above all, I think that's what this record is really about. But if the storyline works for you, I mean, by all means, don't listen to me and abandon that. Stick with that interpretation. But for someone maybe trying to understand the record... Buying into this idea of it being a proper concept album might complicate things, I kind of recommend the more simplified version of looking at it. I don't think it's as complicated as a lot of people maybe try to make it out to be.
0: Well, and the, the best part about it, or the beauty of it, it's set to just incredible music. Like, that never is lost on Bowie. He's always got these incredible ideas thematically and lyrically, but it never ever is added on top of terrible music it's always yeah. great it's it, like it's yeah like <laughs> we don't have to convince our listeners i'm sure no, yeah so that's it for the rise and fall of ziggy stardust and the spiders from mars the 1972 album on rca records by one david bowie so thanks again for listening i'm your co-host john and i'm jesse we'll see you next time